Today, as I continue the series on the life of Moses, I'm reading from Exodus chapter 15, uh, the first 21 verses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified, and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will still be as, a, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. For both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. After Israel walked across and through the Red Sea, God destroyed the Egyptian army with the waves crashing over them. And after that, something spontaneous happened. It says in the chapter before, Israel feared the Lord. Not feared as in terrified, but fear as in Israel was in awe. Israel was blown away. They were amazed at what they had just experienced. And so they sang, they worshiped, they praised. And one of the worship leaders was Moses, but the other was Miriam, Moses' sister who the writer in Exodus calls a prophet. For people who don't believe in women in leadership in the church or among the people of God, this text is a problem. Even in the Old Testament, a woman was recognized as a prophet, a spokesperson of God, who wrote music and poetry, poetry which later become, became a part of the scripture I have just read to you. It was, never forget, women, the midwives of Israel, who thwarted Pharaoh's genocidal plan to kill all the male children of Israel. 
It was women who led Israel in its first acts of social disobedience, civil disobedience to the Egyptian empire. It was women who helped lead Israel's first worship service and who wrote one of the oldest poems, of sections of poetry in Scripture. If you don't believe in women leadership among God's people, you have to ignore what we read today and a bunch of other Scripture too. All right, I'm just getting started. <laughs> but let's go back to the essence of Israel's worship. The main part of Moses and Miriam's worship song was the celebration of Israel's deliverance. And the essence of this deliverance song was that God had defeated an enemy Israel had no chance against. God fought for Israel. And he didn't use normal weapons. He didn't use human weapons. God won the victory his way, through his power. The sword Pharaoh drew was not opposed by another sword. The chariots that Pharaoh sent out were not met by better chariots with, you know, cruise control. The army and its spears was not fought by another army with spears. Wind and waves defeated Pharaoh. God's power over nature defeated Pharaoh. God's causing chariots to break and soldiers, seasoned soldiers, to become disoriented defeated Pharaoh. God doesn't need our guns or our tanks or our jets or our rockets. He has his own arsenal. You know, I keep listening. I, you know, I actually forgot the election was Tuesday. That's how tuned out I've gotten on this. And, you know, but there, I, I, the commercial says, do you want Trump to have the button? Do you want Hillary to have the button? I got news for you. God don't need our stinking button. And one day, these nuclear missiles in their silos are going to be taken out and beaten into agricultural equipment and do something useful besides just threaten to destroy the world. And by the way, his main weapons now, if you believe Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, are spirit and truth and love and prayer and sandals of peacemaking and girdles of righteousness, and the sword of the word of truth, the helmet of salvation. That's why Paul says we don't need earthly weapons anymore because our battle, Paul says, is no longer against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities against evil itself. Our goals are to defeat evil, not to destroy the people evil has infected. We are after the disease, not the person the disease has made sick. There's a little Anabaptism. You got an Anabaptist prayer and now you got a little Anabaptism. Remember, God had engineered the situation so that Israel had no choice but to depend on God for her deliverance. It was God or utter destruction. It was Yahweh. And if Yahweh didn't come through, Israel was annihilated. There are times when the only answer is God. There are times when human ingenuity and resources will simply not get the job done. There are times when we need some kind of miracle. There are times when we need God to get us out of the mess or get us through the mess or under it or over it. There are times when God must fight for us or with us or we are finished and the enemy wins. 
There are times when we need to hear God say, I want you to put faith in me, not in your intelligence, not in your abilities, not in your insights about current circumstances or your ability to predict the future or engineer outcomes. I want you to trust me and put your life in my hands because, folks, there are situations where there is no other way for deliverance. Every addict here this morning knows this. Every alcoholic here this morning knows this. Every receiver of a miraculous healing when the doctor said there is no cure knows this. Every person who has survived when they shouldn't have survived knows this. There are people here today who are here today only because God and God alone delivered them and is still delivering them this morning. And the only proper response to that is what happened in Exodus. It's worship. It's gratitude. It's praise. It's dancing. At least internally, if you can't pull it off. I'm an internal dancer. I can't do the external thing. I look like I'm having a seizure. There are times when the only natural and proper response to God is to get the tambourine and get to stepping, as Pastor Sandra says. We are here today to celebrate the grace of God because we have all experienced a deliverance made possible only by the power and the grace of God. We have all crossed the Red Sea, brothers and sisters. We have all seen the enemy crushed not this time in an ocean, but on a cross. We have been delivered from the power of sin and Satan and the empires of the world when a tomb opened up and a man walked out of that tomb because Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Our God came to deliver us when we were trapped and it was hopeless, when we were lost, when there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, Jesus Christ came. Max Lucado. In his book on grace, he reminds us, remember the, the Chilean miners? Six years ago, a mountain fell on a group of miners 2,000 feet below. Literally solid rock came down and trapped 33 men. The tunnel was blocked, and these men ate two spoonfuls of tuna, a sip of milk, and a piece of peach for two months every other day. And on the surface above, the Chilean rescue team worked around the clock, consulting NASA, meeting with experts. They designed a 13-foot-tall capsule and drilled first a communication hole, then an evacuation tunnel. There was no guarantee of success. No one had ever been trapped underground this long and lived to tell about it. That was until October the 13th, 2010. They sent down that capsule, and they started bringing the men up one at a time. People were slapping high fives. People were outside cheering and chanting victory chants. A great-grandfather came up. A 44-year-old who was planning a wedding came up. A 19-year-old came up. All had different stories, but they had all made the same decision. If they were going to live, somebody from up there was going to have to come down and get them. And by the way, they accepted it joyfully. Not one of these men said, no, I can get out of here on my own. All you guys up there, back off. 
They had stared at the stone tomb long enough to, read the, to reach the unanimous opinion. We need help. We need someone to penetrate this world and pull us out. And when the rescue capsule came, guess what? They climbed in and they climbed in joyfully. 2,000 years ago, someone came and penetrated this world in order to pull us out and save us. The rescue capsule came, oddly enough, in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem who hung on a cross. And all we could do and can do is climb into that capsule because, brothers and sisters, there is no other way out. Our job is to take the grace God gives freely. And it will be hard for some of us. You would think something for free would make people happy. You think something that would save you without you breaking your back would cause rejoicing. People resist grace all the time. For some it's hard because trust comes difficult. And see, you are saved by trust. You are saved by faith. And for some it's hard because people who shouldn't have violated their trust over and over again, their truster is damaged. For some, taking grace means it's hard because... You must humble yourself to take grace. You must confess you're not strong. You must confess you're not inherently good. You must confess you are not the master of your own fate. For some, grace is hard simply because it sounds too good to be true. And we know we don't deserve it. Nevertheless, our job here today is to receive what Christ is dishing out. And it's to take grace and my, I want to tell you something. You take grace, and if you can only take it a teaspoon at a time, you take it a teaspoon at a time. Even if it's humbling, take it. Even if it hurts your pride a little bit, take it. Our job is to take grace and forgiveness and love, even if it's counter to everything we have ever known in our lives. Get in the capsule. Get in the capsule. You know, my father, I, I went down. My father is as lost as any human I know, but God's going to save him. But I talked to him, and I said, why won't... I said, Dad, I can't see for the life of me. You know you're dying. You're dying, and you're not long. That's from your own lips. And I said, Dad, what's the harm in asking Jesus to help you through the last days of your life? What's the harm of taking something for free? What's the harm in asking God to forgive you and grace you and show you mercy? And he went, I've been brought up that a man earns everything he gets. See you in hell. It doesn't work that way. By the way, God has told me he's going to save my father. I wouldn't have said that if I didn't know my dad. God's grace is going to get through here. Some of you are in a mess. And it's hard for you to believe in God's grace. Try this. Believe in God's grace for the next minute. And then after that, try believing in God's grace for the next five minutes. And then try it for a day, a week, a year. Take small leaps of faith. Get in the capsule because it's the only way out. And when you get to the surface, when you see daylight after you come up 2,000 feet, the only logical response is you grab a tambourine, you pull up your robe, and you start doing the hokey pokey. Hallelujah. Because the enemy was defeated by the only one who could defeat him and we are now free sin and death and the forces of hell are not gone but brothers and sisters they are done 
And by his power and his blood, we can know his victory in everyday life, not just when we get to the promised land. Because you see, heaven is our destiny, but our salvation is now. And he is our salvation, as it says in this, in this song of celebration. Another vital part of worship is not just gratitude and celebration. It is, as Israel's experience demonstrated, a cultivation of awe and wonder. Jesus is our friend, but he is not our buddy. When we get to heaven, we're not going to say, how's it going, JC? We're going to fall at his feet and worship with Christ. We have a friendship at the deepest levels, but it is not a friendship between equals. We must never forget who we are dealing with. We are dealing with the creator and sustainer of this universe and many others. We are dealing with the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. When John saw him in Revelation, he came undone. He melted. So did Isaiah. So did others. Worship is not only celebration and gratitude and praise. Worship is realizing with respect and awe in our heart just who we're dealing with. William Beebe was a naturalist who would visit Theodore Roosevelt, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, president and rough rider. And after he was done, they, his friend William Beebe would visit him at Sagamore Hill, his home, and they had a ritual. And after an evening's talk, the two men would go out on the lawn and gaze up to the sky to see who could detect the faint spot of light mist beyond the, the constellation of the square of Pegasus. Then one or the other would ritually recite, that is the spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred billion galaxies. It takes light 750 years from that galaxy just to get here. It consists of a hundred billion suns, each larger than our sun. And after an inter interval, Roosevelt would grin at Beebe and say, Now I think we're small enough. It's time to go to bed. When you worship, after worship, how big is God and how big are you? Again, I can say like they said in Israel. Again, I want you to feel the sense of awe. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. That is awe and wonder. And of course, Israel's worship was filled with love as it celebrated the love of their God. It says in verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. This is one of Hank's favorite words, by the way. Chesed. It is the Hebrew word for rich mercy and grace. When we worship, we offer up our hearts to be filled with his love and grace and mercy so that we may, after being filled, return it back to its source. Worship is where God reveals his heart, and worship is where we reveal ours. It is in worship where we open ourselves up to the invisible. It is in worship we remember that reality is more than what I can see and what I can touch. 
It is in worship that we look beyond the surface of things to deeper realities, especially in this world. We get so lost sometimes, even as Christians. We get caught up and we're as hysterical as non-Christians about things like this election. We drown in circumstances. We wallow in our problems. We get so busy and so tired, we simply want to escape in mindless entertainment. The world bombards me with its loudness and its sensuality, with its lies and with its illusions. Until I worship, what I find is that problems get bigger and God gets smaller. We need to look at the invisible in order to overcome the seen obstacles right in front of us. We have to worship regularly, individually, and together in order to detox from this world. That's one of the ways you must cut. Why we're, that's why I'm talking to you like this this morning. I'm going, don't run around like Chicken Little going, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Not as long as God's on the throne. We are here to see things as they really are in order to breathe the air of heaven while living in the world around us. You know, I, I love that hymn that says, and we sang it recently because it's so true for all of us that, you know, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. One pastor said, you know, and he confessed, he says, I long to get back to a place I was a few years ago where every day I heard God. I was more vigilant then, I think more expectant and hungry. My pursuit of God had a kind of desperation. Like Rachel crying to Jacob, give me children or I die. I cried to God, give me your spirit or I die. I was spiritually lean, alert, and yet also vulnerable and wide open. I was a child and a warrior put together. And he said, somewhere in my journey, I got dull. The child got old. The warrior got timid. Again, I think I know how this happened. A combination of growing responsibility and increased privilege. But so what? Somewhere in my spiritual journey, I started to play, saying, play things safe. I started to fall back on tired, tired methods of doing things and stopped asking God each day whether I should fight or not fight, go up or go down. I got formulaic in my thinking. I got hidebound in my routines. In the spring when kings go out to war, I stayed at my home, wandered around bored and restless on the palace roof, looking for something to make me feel young again. Does that sound familiar? I need to worship because without it, I forget who God is. I forget how big God is. And my enemies get too big, and my God gets too small. And the way I know it is I live in fear. There are too many Christians in this country living in fear. I need to worship because without exposing myself to His love, my love grows cold. Remember, we love Him because He first loved us. I need to worship because without seeing the wonder of my God, I get to where I just get all religious and just start going through the motions. I need to worship because without it, I collapse on myself and my meager resources 
and I find I work harder and harder and bear less and less fruit. And when I am filled with God's Spirit after worship, guess what? I see God's hand moving where before I would have missed it. And that God is bigger than whatever is in front of me. I see miracles big and small all around me. When I praise my Lord and remember what he has done and is doing, I can have, as Karl Barth put it, quote, a defiant nevertheless in my heart when things go wrong and it seems evil is winning. We are called to celebrate and live and rejoice in the face of pain and disease and whatever this world throws at us. Worship defies the realities around us. Worship defies the circumstances around us. Chuck Swindoll talked about Benita Sculptfelt. Benita is confined to a wheelchair, paralyzed from the shoulders down. She's also the wife of Larry, a very godly man. And they served the Lord as missionaries in Caracas, Venezuela. Larry and Benita began their marriage together with a strong determination to do God's will. But early in their marriage, they were traveling in a car with some relatives, but they never made, made it to where they were going. Their car ran, ran head-on into another, and Vanita was thrown from the back seat, her spinal cord severed at the neck. From that moment on, Vanita suffered an inescapable, inescapable a hard paralysis, <laughs> and through a series of operations, several competent doctors told Larry the hard truth. You will have to live with the fact that your wife will be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. She will never be able to bear children, and frankly, you will have to care for her as you would for a child. Larry remembered their wedding vows and determined to keep them regardless. He stayed by her side. When they want to travel together, Larry lifts her into the car, folding up the wheelchair and putting it into the trunk. At night, Larry dresses her for bed and tucks her in. In the morning, he lifts her from the bed, dresses her, places her in the chair, and feeds her breakfast. But that did not stop them. In their lives, in the middle of all this pain, there was, as Karl Barth said, the defiant nevertheless. They worship God, and they were going to worship Him whether they were well or not well, whether their body was broken or not broken. God was good no matter what. And so together for years, they went on to missions. They were engaged in a bookstore ministry in Caracas, faithfully sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at every opportunity. Larry and Vanita, who worked through the shock and grief and bitterness of her condition, came out trusting God on the other side, worshiping God despite everything. And Swindoll says, in my mind, this man and woman are among the most attractive, winsome examples of burning bushes I have ever met. And contrary to what the doctors have told Larry at the beginning, Vanita has born three healthy children. And Larry came to the Lord one day in worship, as did Vanita, and said, we may not be much, but we are available. We're just a couple of ordinary bushes, Lord. Set us on fire for your glory. And he has. Swindoll said, back when I first met them in Venezuela, Larry told me, Chuck, you can't imagine the ministry that woman has as she wheels around that bookstore and in different places in downtown Caracas. 
She speaks fluent Spanish and is always leading people to Jesus. She leads more people to Jesus than anybody I know. And Larry himself, Swindoll says, as far as I'm able to tell, lives free of all bitterness, all rancor, all resentment. He says, I have never once heard this man say, why me or why Benita? This is what happens when we connect to heaven. This is what happens when despite everything, we breathe the air of heaven here on earth. You see, God wants to use us all. Warts and all. Your past doesn't matter. Your resume isn't the issue. Your training and education in the long run won't tell the story. God is looking for bushes he can set on fire. He is looking for someone with ears to hear his voice, hands ready to do his work, and a heart that's willing to respond. And any old bush will do. But he must fuel the fire. And the fire comes from worship. It comes from placing ourselves in God's presence and letting him ignite us. And by the way, I can think of no better example of a defiant nevertheless than a quadriplegic woman who is on fire for Jesus and building his kingdom and not wallowing in self-pity. Hallelujah! Jesus calls us to live irrational lives as far as the world is concerned. He calls us to see heaven in worship and then work with him to bring it to earth, knowing he will finish one day what he started through us in the world now, imperfect as our efforts are. You see, we live in two worlds, the visible and the invisible, and we must make sure that we stay connected to the less obvious one. That's why worship is critical. Philip Yancey, in his book Rumors, before he died, he paid a visit to the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, the home church of Dr. Martin Luther King. And Yancey said, I got a taste of the two-world approach to faith in the contemporary African-American community. He said, I grew up in Atlanta during the 1950s and 60s when most positions of influence were closed to people of color. Jim Crow laws deliberately demean non-white people, making them drink at separate water fountains, use separate bathrooms, and sit at the back of the buses. At church, though, he says, at church, at Ebenezer, men and women like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer stood tall and learned the leadership skills that would galvanize a movement. When I visited Ebenezer in the 1990s, he said it was still serving as a way station for faith and courage. And he said when he went to the service, they started singing, the choir started singing, swaying in the rhythm to the music, unlike white choirs. And, <laughs> and they were singing that old, old song, let us have a little talk with Jesus, let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. And he will answer by and by. And I forgot the rest of the words, so I'm going to stop this song. But just a little talk with Jesus makes things right. <laughs> Your applause. I wasn't embarrassed till you applauded. That's uh... 
After four verses, when Yancey was there, the minister stood up and began talking as the choir hummed just a little talk with Jesus in the background. And that, he told about an elderly woman that week who had been frightened by a brick thrown through her window. And shaken, she went to the neighbor's house who happened to be a lovely member of the Ebenezer Church to await the police. And the pastor said the two of them, this, this elderly lady who was scared to death and this person from our church, and then he, he, he said, the two of them, and he looked back at the choir humming, and he pointed at them, and they had, and the choir began to sing, they had a little talk with Jesus, and they told him all about their problems, and they kept, they sang right through that. Black church is so cool. <laughs> and then another woman that same week had lost her husband to a drive-by shooting, and the pastor got up and said he was promoted to glory. And he said it like he meant it. Still, he continued, we've got to look after this new widow. That's what faith is, he reminded us. Looking after widows and orphans. She's in need. She, and, and he looked at the choir again, and, and, he point, and they started singing more slowly and somberly. She had a little, the wife had a little talk with Jesus. And she told him all about her troubles. And he heard her heart's cry, and he'll answer by and by. Yancey said, I left Ebenezer Baptist with a new appreciation for what served as the moral center of a great movement in my lifetime. Outside African Americans in Atlanta faced humiliation and scorn and often outright hostility and violence, but something happened when they came to church. On Sunday morning, they entered a different world than was outside those walls. On Sunday morning, they recharged. And God gave them the words for the freedom songs. And he gave them the faith to believe those words might soon be realized. And it equipped them for life in both worlds at once. And it gave them the power to fight for justice and the kingdom that was coming despite what they experienced and saw with their own eyes every day. Folks, we don't worship God because he needs it. I got news for you. God is not insecure. He really isn't. He's not sitting up there like some teenager going, do you like me? Do you really like me? We worship not because God needs it, but because we need it. Because we need living water for our thirsty souls. We need manna for our hungry spirits. We need to see our God and rejoice. You know why we need to worship? I don't know about you. I need to get in God's presence because I need to fall in love head over heels over and over and over and over again. And we need power beyond ourselves to stay free from the chains and the lies and the shackles of this world. And we need to worship because we need God's power to work through us, to bring the kingdom of God, to bring heaven to earth. Worship the Lord, because as it says here, He reigns forever and ever. Sing to the Lord, as it says here, for He is highly exalted, because who is like our God? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Worship people of God. 
Because what we need, what we really need, does not come from a committee. It does not come from human strength. It comes from the only one who can deliver us, who, who has delivered us, and who can deliver this world from what it needs delivering from. We are called to worship. You know, the Bible says God inhabits the praise of his people. But, you know, to be really more literal about it, God, it seems like God inhabits the praise of his people because worship finally gets us to focus on the God who's been there all along. He didn't go anywhere. It's we did. Remember the old, the old couple sitting in the front seat and they've been married 50 years and she's sitting on the other side and he goes, he goes she goes, I remember, you remember when we used to snuggle and remember we used to kiss and remember when I used to sit beside you and put my head on your shoulder when you drove and he looked at her and he said, I didn't move. That's an old, old joke. But I'm an old, old man. We need to open our hearts wide to God and let Him love us and grace us. We need every Sunday morning to come in and take every bit of grace we can get and drink it up and in. Your duty, your first primary duty as a Christian is to let Jesus love on you. It's not to get religious. It's not to get all... If you will let God's love become real to you through worship, I got news for you. Everything else falls in place. Everything else falls in place. Worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my salvation. Take what He is giving. The people of Israel, what they got from God was pure gift. They earned nothing. They figured out nothing. They overcame nothing. They just, they just took grace went on across the sea. And that's exactly the way it'll work for us. You have to take grace and get to stepping. Get to stepping, Pastor said. <laughs> Just take it. It's free. And when you find out how that it's the most wonderful stuff in the universe, God's love's the most wonderful stuff in the universe, you won't have to worry about praising Him. But if you want to prime the pump, praise Him first and it'll help you focus, and then you'll feel God's love. Sometimes you have to do it the other way around, because, not because of Him, because of us. I'm wandering now, so I'm going to stop. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Did Jesus give you something for free that you could never earn in a million years? Praise the Lord. Did Jesus deliver you from something that you could have never gotten out on your own in a million years? Praise the Lord. Did God give you heaven for nothing? Praise the Lord. Did God keep you from hell from nothing? Praise the Lord. Did God heal your body? Praise the Lord. Has God become your love and your life? Then praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 You know, I used to preach in Pentecostal church. I'm, what I'm feeling, they used to call getting happy. I'm getting happy. Praise the Lord.
praise the Lord. Would you stand? Would you stand? And let's worship the Lord. Now, now the intercessors will come and pray for you. But if you're not coming up for prayer, I want you to let the joy of the Lord be yours this morning, all right? And respond in worship, okay? Clap your hands, wave your hands. You may even want to get a tambourine and beat on it. <laughs> worship the Lord.
If you're in trouble or you're down or you don't know what else to do, just praise the Lord for a while and see what happens, all right? I'm not saying you can't complain to the Lord. I'm not saying you can't voice other needs or pain to the Lord. I'm just saying somewhere in there, just start praising and see what happens, all right? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we were dead and now we're alive. We were lost and now we're found. Lord, we were alienated and now we're part of the family. We were going to hell and now we're going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And God's people say, Amen, amen and amen. amen. You may get out of here. All right.